My name is Nyamshana, talking to you from Uganda. While COVID-19 is keeping us in lockdown here, let's have a special discussion about health, not just human health, internet health. We are making this episode in collaboration with part of the team and contributors behind Mozilla's Internet Health Report 2020. And we will be discussing some of the stories that were featured in the 2020 edition. As you probably know, Internet health expresses itself in different ways, depending on contexts, times, and regions. That's why every year since 2017, Mozilla's Internet Health Report checks the vitals of the Internet globally and offers a view on the victories, the setbacks, and the ideas that people around the world are putting to work to make things better. So today, we will be having some special guests who were also part of this report to discuss a bit about the ways that internet health and disease looked like in their own regions and contexts. With us also is Laura Vido, who works as the outreach coordinator behind the Mozilla Internet Health Report 2020. Thank you, Nyamishana. I brought company with me. Great company. We'll be talking to three more guests who also participated in the Internet Health Report as part of this special feature that shared over 200 stories around healthy and unhealthy moments all over the world. They are Ufa Modi, coordinator of the Nigerian Youth Internet Governance Forum and co-founder at Digital Grassroots. Rashi Saxena, the global project coordinator at HateBase for the Sentinel Project based in Bangalore and Mohamed el Kohari, a board member of Global Voices based in Cairo and the manager of its translation arm, Lingua. I'm on mute? No, now, now you're fine. Relax, it's only us. You need to make me co-host. Don't, uh, don't forget to press record on your computer. So did everyone hit record? Yes. Yes, I'm recording. Let's start. So I would like my dear guests to comment on what internet health means to you and what are the urgent symptoms that need to be dealt with in your context. So for me, internet health has a large connection to how communities interact with each other. A significant portion of the internet is the work of communities, like in the open knowledge context, like Wikimedia projects or other communities where a large number of volunteers contribute. I think there is a large part that needs to be discussed in terms of power dynamics uh, for, let's say, members with uh, deeper knowledge. They need to be self-aware of what they know, what they don't know, what they don't know they don't know, um, and, uh, and also how they steer the direction of power, how they make themselves accountable and how communities make their members accountable so nobody abuse their power. In short, to have a healthier internet among communities is for more powerful people to consider themselves as coordinators rather than gatekeepers. Thank you so much, Gahari. Rashi, you have something about hate speech as one of the emerging issues, but also a bit of a chronic disease that we've been seeing since the emergency of the internet. I think one of the things to understand is that we're slowly seeing that there's a blurred line uh, between the online world and the offline world. And 
when you talk about hate speech or parties and people who are propagating uh you know associated violence related to it we need to understand that these are actually human problems that have been scaled up with technology i want to kind of look, go back historically to something closer to home like the genocide in cambodia or the holocaust or the rwandan genocide they required a large amount of institutional infrastructure which required coordination by powerful media houses then and some of the local news outlets and radio it's it's a lot easier to propagate instances of hate that can lead to offline violence and can cause grave consequences so something as simple as a cheap mobile phone along with uh, a good internet connection is enough to be able to propagate and scale the hateful content which can transcend geography boundaries thank you very much that that is quite insightful ufai i would like you to give us more insight what happened with the nsas movement Hashtag #nsas which started in october 2020 was a movement um by nigerian youth um who used twitter as a platform to demand or change in police brutality insecurities extrajudicial killing of youth and um, citizens oppression inequalities and general corruption in the country and um, the internet worked as a tool for open um collaboration shared networks and community building for accountability and justice nigerian youth innovated online and crowdfund wanted to organize nationwide protests to voice their grievances to the Nigerian government and um, other relevant authorities however that same internet was also manipulated and used as a tool to spread misinformation and fake news which turned these peaceful protests to violent riots that eventually led to the loss of lives and properties and increased the insecurities in the country so now i just feel as though that there's as a result of that there's now a lot of emphasis on controlling the internet in nigeria in in my own context the internet has become a voice for women to speak up we see more and more feminists becoming vocal speaking up against you know violations that are happening in the country they are speaking up for violence against women online but also they are speaking generally about women's rights offline as well when we started making noise online a few years ago that is not far from now about 2015 there was almost a few voices that were speaking up but as we see now there are more and more women who are gaining confidence because once you come for one woman then you have come for all of them I would like to us to go in the next part what can be done for some of these chronic diseases but some of the diseases of the internet that are emerging every other day there are so many healthy moments that were shared by the 100 contributors in the Mozilla Internet Health Report it was so hard to pick my favorite but one that stuck in my mind is one for my good friend Christy Alves Nascimento she's South African and for her one of the healthiest moments of 2020 was that during the pandemic mental health services in india became more accessible 
and socially acceptable and more people were using tech spaces to speak up about mental health issues. I would like to switch to you, Gohari, to tell us about your healthy moment, but also highlighting uh, stories of other contributors showing how a healthy internet can be achieved. I wanted to refer to Amir Sarabadani, who is an Iranian software engineer at the Media Foundation. He considers Wikipedia as a prime example of successful fighting misinformation and disinformation online, much better than large companies like Facebook and YouTube. And I completely agree, especially because Facebook and YouTube are examples of for-profit companies where they are interested in profit rather than pushing for open knowledge. Absolutely. Let's go straight to Ufa. Ufa, please go ahead. Uh, what I think is an appropriate solution should be, has a lot to do with digital literacy for the younger generations, especially those who ideally are not able to afford this kind of um, um, knowledge. It all stems down to having a knowledgeable population who are aware, fully aware of all the things that need to, to be put in place for a healthy internet. And that was one of the things that really, really attracted me to um, Taiba Hussein's entry in the Internet Health Report, where she talked about a healthy internet story showcasing the Slum to School Africa project where virtual classrooms are being built to bridge the education gap for vulnerable children across Nigeria. planet right now, and we currently have poverty ratios that are quite not impressive to look at unless we can bridge that digital divide within a minority and underrepresented communities and economically challenged communities. And there's still a lot of work that would go on in achieving a really universal global internet in the country where everyone is aware of their rights and is able to use the technology and is able to participate meaningfully in both deploying um, technology creating it, um, influencing tech policies and uh, standing, for, standing for laws and regulations and other issues that support the growth of the internet. Thank you so much. And what you spoke about in terms of affordability is really close to home um, because a country like mine, the cost of internet is very high, but yet the government also has imposed taxes onto the internet. I think that is an important point for, you know, as a solution, a recommendation for people that make these policies to, to know that in a context of like sub-Saharan Africa, where almost 75% are under the age of, of 30, and yet internet is a powerhouse. I recently met with about five teenagers from rural Uganda in Kavale district, and we were talking about meaningful access to the internet. I targeted those with smartphones and I asked them what the internet was and they told me the internet was Facebook and WhatsApp. And so we just had to dive into meaningful access or what else can they do on the internet? And then I was so stuck with myself when they said, okay, thank you so much for showing us all this stuff, but we cannot afford the internet. Let's go to Laura. Laura, what was the sticking story? What is that story that stuck with you that offers a solution to a healthy internet? Well, with this one, I think I want to go back 
home to Venezuela, where we're having huge problems in terms of communication and access to the internet. I really, really like the story that Andres Asporia uh, shared. And it's about a series of videos that are made, I think, by his, his organization that is called Venezuela Inteligente, Intelligent Venezuela. And they are really nice videos about digital security. And I think it's a really nice example on how you can bring a subject that is so complex. And let's be honest, a subject that is also super scary to talk about technology, to talk about digital security, to talk about protecting your data, and also to talk about your rights as a citizen online. So they managed to make this collection of videos that are really funny. They're short, they're funny, they're clear. I have learned a lot about digital security. I have sent them to my family and they have learned a lot about digital security as well. I think that is a really nice example of a healthy moment showing how people getting together, identifying a problem and creating content that speaks to, to a particular group of people, you know, that where they can feel included. Because uh, one thing that tends to happen with digital security is that it feels like, a, I don't know if you feel like this, but I feel that it's, it's such an exclusive issue, you know, so, so little people know what's about and when they talk about it, it's, it's very easy to, you know, to drift off and, and stop listening and and getting intimidated by it. And yet we're all touched by cybercrime or surveillance from governments or, or censorship. So making this subject available, making tricks and strategies available for a wider audience, I thought it was really, really nice and really, really necessary. And again, a very nice example of how a community, a small group of people has an idea and on their own, they build a healthy space within the internet. Thank you, Laura. And I'm happy as a content creator myself that you've highlighted the work <laughs> of content creators because most of the uh, content creation is very th is a thankless labor of love that uh, uh, amazing content creators do and we appreciate. And I think I will, I will definitely take a look at at those videos and, and learn something and, and, and see whether we can replicate the same for Uganda. I think, I think internet health should also be determined by connecting online when you want to and when you can. I mean, we spoke about surveillance, we spoke about I mean, we, we haven't spoken about privacy, but I'd like to see privacy. Or, or I'd, I'd like to at least see privacy being more mainstreamed. And, you know, I have so many people and so many colleagues, I'm sure even amongst all of us would say, why aren't people more concerned about privacy? Because they just don't know. They just don't know enough as to how it can permeate uh, into and cause disruption in our social, um, economic, and our emotional lives. I think, I mean, I think we've, we've been far more dependent. And I remember in India, we use uh, we use this common terminology. We say, roti, kapra, and makan. It basically means food, uh, you know, food, clothing, and shelter. But, you know, you have to add the, the fourth uh, vector to that is, uh, is the internet or data. And coming from a country which has the cheapest data tariffs, what, what we do perhaps struggle with is 
you know, there's just lack of infrastructure in, in complicated terrains, in conflict zones. We come from an area with, with the largest number of intentional shutdowns. And there are all sorts of reasons that are given, but nobody understands the collateral damage it does to youth, to people who want to learn, who want to come out of difficult situations, who want to, of small businessmen, who define the internet as WhatsApp or Facebook, because that is the infrastructure that they use to carry out everything. Um, and when we talk about internet shutdowns, it's not, it, it's not, the intentional shutdown for a day or two, it's 100 days. And it can affect your ability to give an exam or, or you know, any, any sort of financial transaction. I, I still feel that there's a lot that can be done in terms of, you know, even contributing to the economy because nobody cares about freedom of speech and expression when we talk about such things. But everyone talks about GDP. And if there is like an economic loss, people would perhaps take it more seriously. And I, but, but the whole idea is that people are taking it seriously now. I think it's really interesting about what you just said, Rashi, and it's the idea of privacy. I, I feel that privacy means so much more than it did probably 30 years ago. Uh, and I think privacy was one of those rights that we completely took for granted to, to an extent in which we just didn't understand how much it was being menaced by all this innovation that we also love to have. So, so privacy came up to mean so many other things than, than, than before. And I think that not only we took it for granted, um, we're now starting, I guess, to understand what privacy concretely means. Who are you sharing your information with? Who do you want to see your own data? And how does that translate in everyday life? I see your hand up, Ufa. Yeah, I just wanted to add some inputs to the state of the internet in Nigeria. I think that if I'm asked about the current state of the internet in Nigeria, if it's healthy or unhealthy, I think I would lean towards more the unhealthy part because um, since the NSAS Twitter campaign, it, the internet in Nigeria has pretty much gone downhill. There have been various national policies and laws that have been enacted to clamp down on free speech online in Nigeria. And Twitter is currently suspended and the social media regulation bills that have been passed in the National Assembly. Um, of course, this has negatively impacted many individuals who use social media platforms for education and income generation and civil society organizations um, and also civil society organizations who use um, social media for advocacy on various society issues have also been affected and then um, there are the numerous human and digital rights violations of, um, against the Nigerian citizens. So basically, um, the effect of the Twitter ban in Nigeria has been a real eye-opener towards the internet health in Nigeria for me, especially new issues with the internet ecosystem in Nigeria. On one hand, it makes us rethink the power structures as to who has control of the internet in Nigeria. And But on a more positive note, we get to see the effects of using um, VPNs, for example, because loads of people downloaded VPNs with the Twitter ban and then and that just shows that 
basically exposed Nigerians to more global content on social media to make them see more things that were happening globally that were not they were not quite didn't have access to in their own countries and also even the general application of the hashtag so these are just um, interesting things that um, I can say is happening with the internet in Nigeria right now. Gohari. What I was thinking was how to make a lot of things online easier for the average person like uh, whether it is digital security, whether it is using various online tools. Since basically everything online is designed by technologists or programmers or people who know code, see the internet from not from the same perspective, at least with, as the average person. And therefore there is some kind of usage gap, let's say. That includes how things are designed, how people see things, the language barrier. I think there should be more effort from anyone online who is producing anything, whether it is content, tools, anything in between, to make everything easier for the average person. I would like us to go to just the future quickly, like within one or two minutes, just to tell us about the future. What does the future of internet health look like in 2021? I mean, looking at the current events, what can we learn from elsewhere? Uh, what is the future? Or are we like Nigeria that is just going downhill with, with uh, the, or Uganda where Facebook as for now is banned? and we are busy taxing social media. So is there any optimism and you know, hope about the future of a healthy internet? Okay, so I think, like I said earlier on, I put, personally, I put a lot of hope on the next generation of citizens who are the next generation of internet users. We shouldn't let them lose sight of what is important and let them um, center the technology around humanity and not humanity around technology rather. Um, like um, Gohari said, um, many software developers right now just build technology without thinking about the human rights implications of that technology. So the next generation of technologies that are uh, software engineers should be able to to consider many human rights principles in the design of their technology. Laura, you have something. Are you excited about the future of, the, of internet health? There's one thing that got me really excited, and it was a kind of result of COVID. And it's the, the amount of conferences about digital rights that happened online that would have been impossible to join or, or hear about or, or visit had it, had it been how it was before in a certain city. This year, I was able to go to MouseFest, to RightsCon. There was very recently one conference with the digital rights from the point of lawyers in Kenya. And I think there's there's bread and net that is happening very soon. And uh, they managed to take it online completely last year. So you had a lot of, of digital right defenders from Palestine being able to exchange and talk. And this was an effort that wanted to be made before. But with COVID, we were forced to put everything online. And I think that 
it was a little bit of an accident. And of course, it would have been wonderful to meet in person. But I think that a positive side of putting everything online was opening the access to so many people. And also in, uh, in many rhythms, because not only you could, you could go and check the video of a conference or a panel or a discussion or a workshop at a given moment, but not only. Since they were recorded, you could visit them afterwards. And that give, gives you a possibility to get back to a conversation that wasn't super clear the first time for you. I think it became a really, a very exciting learning opportunity for those of us who are kind of slower to understand the many issues regarding internet health. Just to add to that, I think all the carbon offset of not flying for so many months, I think that's a good thing that we could live up to. I also think that, as, as Laura mentioned, not just conferences, but I think this, um, this pandemic also helped us to normalize working from home, uh, giving us access to numerous opportunities and the ability to be able to get more comfortable with working remotely, perhaps even fostering remote hubs that can comfortably work from any part of their world. I think I'm very optimistic about that, but I'm also, I'm also optimistic about how most of the developers and programmers have to also be the next generation of human rights defenders where they treat their data as how, you know, how you want to be treated and they would also look into getting more hands-on literacy around adopting designs that minimize grievances, also looking at understanding policy frameworks. I think uh, they kind of really have to have the literacy for us to be able to go confidently online and express ourselves in the best way possible. Also, the other aspect that I was uh, reflecting on about censorship, where I think censorship is more like a concession to an idea's power and not a defense. And that's because of the limited legal consequences that we see in Global South, because we don't have the right policies and frameworks and laws that are put in place. And legislation is still falling way behind uh, that also limit our individual freedom of expression and also many a times reinforce the beliefs uh, of a lot of people who get booted off online because of algorithms. There has to be a human touch and we perhaps have to focus more on, you know, legislation and regulation. I think that's uh, something that I would like to take away, but I'm definitely very optimistic about what lies ahead. Yeah, me too. Definitely. Thank you so much. You've been wonderful guests. <laughs> and obviously, it has been such an enriching discussion. I know that the listeners, both Sounds, the Mozilla Project, but also Nyamshana's podcast will be, will be enriched by this discussion. Thank you. We can go on for hours regarding the issues, the strategies, what people are doing, what you think they're going next. This has been really awesome to talk about um, these issues and to learn what every other person is doing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you for listening. Remember that you can read the whole report at 2020.internethealthreport.org and find our three spotlights exploring racial justice, data, labor, and transparency. 
not to mention the 240 helpful moments shared by 120 internet experts from around the world. There's so much to explore. If you have comments, questions, or ideas, send us an email at internethealth at mozillafoundation.org or leave us a message here on Anchor. Thank you today and send you everything. Perhaps we have five transfer. My birthday was really nice. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I will be here in the recording. I need to talk to you about today's speech project I'm doing. Since you value localization so much, I am so happy that I could speak. Your moderator, I